So what I want to do today is pick up where we left off in our sermon series that we have been in from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Our series, as you know, is entitled Jesus, Son of God, Suffering Servant, and Savior of Sinners. Today, we are in Mark, chapter 9, verse 49. Mark, chapter 9. Verse 49 in our Bibles. And as you turn there, let me remind us why we do this and why we do it the way we do it. Because we're on a journey together through the Gospel of Mark, following the life of Jesus as Mark wrote and recorded it for us under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The focus is Jesus, all about Jesus and nothing but Jesus. For Jesus is the answer to everything for us. And he is the answer to everything. So why not spend the time that we have spent, the effort and the energy and the prayers that we have poured into walking in this journey together through the Gospel of Mark, because in doing so, we are walking with our Lord Jesus. And we're learning more about him, because he is the difference. He is our salvation. And from this pulpit, we preach Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. And so it is a privilege for all of us to have been invited on this particular journey with Jesus through Mark's gospel. It is no accident, and it isn't merely by happenstance, and nor is it simply because you and I choose to come and be here. No, this is all about God. This is a divine appointment. And it is a divine appointment that continues. And there's a reason why you and I are here, and perhaps others aren't. God knows. But I can tell you that this is a journey that is being recorded in eternity in heaven. And everybody who joined in it and stayed with it will be remembered by God for it in eternity. Just keep that in mind as we continue on this journey. Ever heard the phrase, salt of the earth? This is often a high compliment to someone when it is said of them, uh, he or she is the salt of the earth, meaning that he or she is a, a salt of the earth type of person. Or a phrase like, they are salt of the earth people. The phrase refers to those who are considered to be um, honest, humble, and down-to-earth, hardworking, compassionate, and 
caring people who will do whatever, it is, whatever is needed for the benefit of others. Salt of the earth type people. He's the salt of the earth. She is the salt of the earth. They are the salt of the earth. People who will just, people who are just down to earth and who will do whatever is needed for the benefit of others. They don't, they don't live life simply for themselves. They, they live life for the others and, and they just, they, they want to do good in the world and contribute good to the world. Salt of the earth. This phrase goes back to biblical times when Jesus uttered it in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. I'm going to pick on him for just a moment one more time. Not really picking on him but I'm going to point out. This is one of the things, by the way, that I love about our David, Vinnie. Um, David has been with us six years. Um, and he always, he, you know what, he's the kind of person and personality who is always willing to help somebody. He's always willing to help. You find yourself in a situation, a jam, a crisis, if David is available or anywhere around, he's always willing to help. He's one of those kinds of people. He does not judge. You know how some people are, you know, you, you get yourself in a jam and the first thing they want to say is, well, how'd you get yourself in this jam? See, if you had to have done this, that, or the other, blah, blah, blah. He's not that type of a person. He's not judgmental, but it doesn't, doesn't matter to him how you got in the situation you're in. If he's around, or able, available, and, and can help, he will help. I, listen. I called him, uh, sent him a message whenever it was the other day and said, David, I'm, I'm too sick. I can't, I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't go down the stairs. Can you help me? Can you take this on? And I never had to think about it again while I was struggling at home with sickness. He's that, he's that type of person, and I love that about him because he is the salt of the earth. If, if you need help and he can help, he's gonna help you because that's his nature. That's, 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 the, that's a salt of the earth type of person. Well, in Matthew chapter five in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that those followers of Jesus who are humble, um, who are, who mourn with others, that is to say they hurt with others, they feel others', others pain, they are meek, they are merciful, they are righteous and pure-hearted, they are peacemakers as well as persecuted. They are the salt of the earth, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is a, a metaphor for humility. Poor in spirit as opposed to being proud, arrogant in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children, children of God. Blessed are you 
when people say all kind of ugly, evil uh, things about you falsely on account of me, Jesus says. Yeah. You are the salt of the earth. And God has saved us to be salt of the earth type people. Now, you know, salt, speaking of salt, it, salt is a valuable seasoning, preservative, and a purifying agent or cleansing agent, you know. Salt is something that is essential to life. It's interesting when you think about it. Because it is the chemical, the chemical compound of salt is, 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 is sodium chloride. And it is said that salt is something of a wonder because it is composed of two poisonous substances, sodium and chloride, either of which, if taken individually, would be fatal. And yet together, both substances form an indispensable mineral for sustaining life. In the region of Palestine, the Dead Sea is known as the saltiest sea on earth because it has the highest concentration of salt in comparison to all uh, the world's other large bodies of water. Now, as the saltiest place on earth, the Dead Sea forms the backdrop of Jesus' sayings about Salt and saltiness as a, as a metaphor for discipleship. As we all know, salt has many, many uses in modern life. I mean, you know, it can be used as table salt, rock salt, sea salts, saline, a food preservative, you name it, so much more. Everyone has a relationship with salt because it plays such an important role in human survival. Now, like many people, I love salt. But I have to be careful not to consume too much salt and sodium. Amen? Somebody say amen with me. I know you need, I know you need to say amen with me on that one, brothers and sisters. You know, listen. Uh, you know, one of the, co what, what I've discovered, okay, now no, I'm not a medical doctor, but what I've discovered in my journey is that one of the culprits of weight gain and re weight retention and water retention is sodium. Too much sodium, too much sodium. And so, you know, you, you know how we've talked for years and years, you know, about watching your calories and counting the calories and watching fat. Well, you can watch all the fat and calories you want to, but if that thing you're eating got 3,000, you know, what is it, milligrams of sodium in it, then you undermine everything else. It undermines everything else you're trying to do. I care to watch the sodium in something before I'll even look at the calories of the fat, because if it's got too much sodium in it, I need to back away from it. Or I need to be very careful about how much of it I consume. Because sodium, too much sodium, can be, can be a problem for us, and especially for those of us who are African-American. We, in particular, have a challenge with this, and it's been a well-known challenge 
in American medicine for many years. You know, uh, if my memory is correct, you know, for the average person, uh, the, uh, the medical community says they can consume about as much as 2,500 milligrams of sodium a day, but not African Americans. With African Americans, it's anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 milligrams of sodium a day. We do more than that, and it can have adverse uh, health effects on us. So, I mean, too much sodium, too much of a good thing uh, can, can become a problem for us. And so um, I pay attention or try to pay attention to this regularly for the sake of my health. But as Jesus says in verse 50 of Mark chapter 9, salt is good. So in my eating habits, I just, I just have to be careful not to eat too much of a good thing. But Jesus has something significant to say to us about salt and saltiness, especially as it relates to our Christian discipleship here in Mark chapter 9, verses 49 to 50. Here's what he says, verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Hmm. Now, Jesus has just made, in the context of things here, he has just made finished making the second prediction of his death and resurrection back in verse 31 of Mark chapter 9, where he said to the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now his disciples again failed to comprehend his prediction. Instead of asking Jesus what he meant, about this statement in verse 31, they resort to arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. <laughs> you know, by the way, when people get a sense that something is, big change is happening, or in the back of their mind something's going down, you know what they do? They jockey for positions of superiority fighting and scrapping among themselves to try and hold on to as much as they can when they think something's going down. Whether it's true or not, whether the ship is actually going down or not, whether things are actually coming apart or not, they think things are coming apart, they start jockeying for power positions and supremacy. Does that sound familiar to you, by the way? Yeah, we're living through that reality right now in America where a whole bunch of people think that the ship is going down and here they are trying to. Mm. These disciples failed to comprehend what Jesus was teaching and telling them. So they resort to arguing amongst themselves about who's superior, who's the greatest, who's supreme, who's the best. Jesus responds to them by teaching them 
lessons on humility and holiness in the next verses, verses 35 through 48. So in verse 35, Jesus called the 12 to him, sat down to explain to them the meaning of true greatness. Anyone who wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Hmm. By the way, I, I, just got to, I just got to give you this quick little footnote. Now, how about applying this principle of Jesus for a whole lot of people today who are jockeying to be supreme and superior? Anyone who wants to be first must be last. Seems to me that a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians these days have forgotten about that. Anyone who wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Jesus then takes a child into his arms as an example in verses 36 through 37 to show them what humility looks like. Then in verses 38 to 41, the disciples, they discover a man exercising demons from people in the name of Jesus and they attempt to stop him simply because he does not belong to their particular group. Remember, we walked through this together, but I'm just reminding us of the context. He doesn't belong to them. He ain't a part of us. So we need to stop him. But Jesus rebukes his disciples for stopping the man. It's stopping the man and therefore causing him to stumble, if you will. He rebukes the disciples for stopping the man because even though the man is not one of their group, he is nonetheless a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you know, nobody, nobody who trusts in me and believes in me and speaks the truth about me is going to turn around and say something bad about me in the next breath. If he's exercising demons by the authority of my word, then he is with me, is Jesus' point. Why are you all trying to get in his way, cause him to stumble and stop him from doing my work? Then in verses 42 to 48, Jesus teaches them about the seriousness of sin. The severity of divine judgment and the gravity of causing someone else to stumble into sin. In the days ahead. After this point, they will be tested on everything Jesus has been teaching them. They will be tested, the disciples. They will be tested for the authenticity of their discipleship. This appears to be the reason why Jesus goes on to declare to them in verse 49, Everyone will be salted with fire. In other words, every, every disciple of Jesus will be tested with the fire of trials. Every disciple of Jesus will be tested with the fire of trials. The themes of salt and fire recalls the Old Testament sacrificial system where certain sacrifices were salted before being offered to the Lord according to Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13. 
In fact, Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 says, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all of your offerings. Hmm. Remember, brothers and sisters, the salt signified it was, it was a, it's an agent of purification, so it signified the, the purity and the purification of the offering that was being offered to God on the altar of sacrifice in the Old Testament. Joel Williams writes, and I quote, even followers of Jesus will face fiery trials and persecutions so that they might be like sacrifices seasoned by suffering and then offered to God, end quote. Hmm. You see, fire and salt are both helpful metaphors for Christian discipleship because they test, purify, and experience the substance and authenticity of a person's soul. It's true. So you remember when we were back in Mark chapter 4 and the different types of soil, the four types of soil that the seed of the word of God can fall upon. And you remember that type of rocky soil where it would, when, when the seed fell on this rocky soil, it sprang up quickly. But then what happened to it? When the sun came and things got hot, it withered up real quickly. Why? Because it didn't have any roots. There was no rootedness with it, you see because of the shallowness of the soil. And that actually is a very telling metaphor for the shallowness of too many people's faith who when they are tested by the fire of trials, their faith fizzles out. You know something? There's an old saying that I got from some old preacher way back decades ago that goes something like this. If your faith fizzles before the finish, then it was faulty from the start. Speaking of the perseverance, <clears throat> excuse me, the perseverance of the saints. That true believers, those who have been authentically saved, will persevere until the end. Those who do not, were not authentic to begin with. They fall away. Now, by the way, where do you fall? Where do you land in that description? James Edwards points out that in verses 42 to 48, Jesus was speaking about the fire of perdition. In the earlier verses, talking about fire, the fire of hell. Fire of perdition. But here in verse 49, Jesus is talking about the fire of purification. Christians will be tested with the fire of trials 
But these fiery trials are intended to purify and sanctify and strengthen us, not to destroy us. The sacrifices that fiery trials bring to our lives are sacrifices unto the Lord. See, it's, it's all in how you and I respond to the trials that we face. Especially trials that, are, that come through no fault on our part. I'll come to that a little more in a minute. Trials that happen in our lives through no fault of our own, but that are just brought into our lives to test us. How we respond matters to God. Because if we respond, if you respond with faith, then your faith will be purified and strengthened. But if you respond in fear, if you respond in unbelief, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to weaken your soul, weaken your own soul, undermine your own strength and become weaker and disillusioned as a result of your lack of faith in response to whatever the trial is that has come upon you. How you and I respond to the trial will be judged by God. So the sacrifices that fiery trials bring to our lives are sacrifices unto the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't think y'all got that. Let me say it a third time. The sacrifices that fiery trials bring to our lives are sacrifices unto the Lord. See, while you are moaning and complaining and upset and all twist turned upside down on the inside because of bad things that done happened to you or others who've done bad things to you, you need to recognize that as a Christian, the sacrifices that fiery trials bring to our lives are sacrifices unto the Lord. Whatever happens to you, whatever you are subjected to, whatever you are going through isn't for nothing. And it isn't just about people, nor about other human beings behaving badly. If you stay stuck on that, you won't learn a thing from your trial. And if you don't learn anything from your trials, then you will never grow. You will just keep spinning around in the same spiritual circle, only spiraling downward, not going upward. Because you keep rehashing the same old stuff that people did to you, against you, and that hurt you. Instead of recognizing that all of this is God's classroom for you, for you to grow and develop and learn from so that it makes you stronger, not weaker. And if you don't put some biblical perspective on all of this stuff, 
that you've been going through, then yes, you're going to be depressed. And you know what? Listen to me. All depression is not mental illness. We can all get depressed and down about things. Doesn't mean you're mentally ill. It just means that the way you're looking at something may be problematic for you. So change the way you're looking at it. Take your human glasses off, if you will, and put on, listen, put on God's eyeglasses, if you will. <laughs> Look at it through the eyes of Scripture, through the eyes of God, rather than the eyes of your personal pain. And God will show you something and teach you something that those devils who did you wrong could never even comprehend. And God will strengthen you and grow you out of the morass of the situation. But if you keep spiraling downward in the same old bitterness because you keep reacting in the flesh rather than in the spirit, then you are only going to hurt, hinder, and harm your own spiritual growth and development. Yes, you're going to be depressed. And you're going to be depressed because you keep grieving the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Stop grieving the Spirit by staying mad at somebody forever because of their sin and their stupidity. Or their evil or whatever they did. God will deal with them. Nobody gets away with anything. Not even you. The sacrifices that fiery trials bring in our lives are sacrifices unto the Lord. You're not going through this for nothing. The sacrifice, the struggle that you're going through, God will honor if you will honor him in it. If you will believe and trust in him in it, if you will remember and believe that he is sovereign, even when everything else and everybody else is out of control, including yourself, if you'll trust and believe in him, keep the eyes of your heart on the Lord going through it. First Peter chapter one, turn your Bible to first Peter chapter one real quickly, if you can. First Peter chapter one, beginning at verse six. Now. In the Bible, there's always a context in Scripture, and we have to pay, a, a, you know, we always need to pay attention to the context, and that's important. First um, <clears throat> Peter chapter 1. All right. First Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fail. I don't care what people do to you. They can't take your inheritance. Your spiritual inheritance. Your real inheritance. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now here comes verse 6, and verses 6 and 7 where I want to focus. 
In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may, for, for, for now, for the time being, in this life, for a little while, you have had to suffer all kinds of grief. Do you see that, all kinds of grief? That's your grief. That's, your, that's what you've been going through. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. It all fits within this biblical description of having to suffer grief in all kinds of trials if you're a Christian. Everything you're going through, you've gone through, you will, you and I will, it fits right here. In this, the scripture says, you greatly rejoice in all of the, listen, all of the glory of your salvation which cannot be taken away from you. In this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while. See that for a little while? Not forever. For a little while. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, what about it? Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, a faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that the genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So you're suffering right now. You're struggling right now and you're in profound pain right now. You don't feel good. You don't like where you are. You don't like the situation you're in. It's uncomfortable, and the fleshly, the, the flesh, the human part of you, if you could run away from it, you would. If you could go back where you came from, you would. If you could go back to the last place, you were happy, you would. The only problem is you can't go back. You can't go back in time. You can't go backwards. You can only go forward. Remember, we talked about that on the final Sunday of last year. These have come. You're going through this. While you're going through this, here's why. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Speaking of your faith, it is a faith that is of greater worth than gold. Gold which perishes even though refined by the fire. Ah, and therein is a hint to the spiritual reality of the fiery trials testing your faith. If gold is refined by fire, then how much more is your faith refined by fire? You know, the process of refining gold is a hot process. I mean, it is heated to a point that the impurities are brought to the surface and then removed from the gold, thus making it purer and purer. So it is with our faith. In fact, how much more it is with our faith that this is true. If it's true of gold, 
which the Bible says here perishes because it's part of the material world. How much more is it true of our faith, which can never perish? Remember, it can never perish, spoil, or fade. We just read that a few moments ago in the previous verses. So our faith, your faith, your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith is refined in the fire of trials, the fires of trials that we endure. Because when you come out of it on the other side, you have a testimony of what God has done for you in you and what he will now do through you because he brought you out on the other side. This reminds me of Psalm 23. Um, um, <clears throat> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or you could translate that verse in Hebrew, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with, there's evil there. Plenty of evil in the darkness, in the darkest valley. There's no shortage of evil. But I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, I will not fear because I know, listen, God is with me in the darkest valley, in the valley of the shadow of death. And he will bring me out on the other side of it. And in so doing, he is refining my faith in the process. All of this will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Nothing that has happened to you, nothing that you're going through now or that you or I will go through is wasted. We should not be surprised whenever we are being salted with fire because Jesus says here in Mark 9, 49, that everyone will be salted with fire. First Peter, First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. First Peter 4, you turn, turn over to chapter 4 if you're there, still there in First Peter. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13 says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Wow. See that? 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. See, it's not just the fiery trials that have come upon you, but the fiery trials that have come upon you to test you. James said this, says this in the book of James chapter 1. Scripture says this, says it this way, James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy 
Whenever you face trials of various kinds, knowing this, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, see, listen, listen. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your, in other words, when the trials come, the reason they come is the, to test your faith. This is a test. <laughs> it reminds me, we still have these public service announcements come up occasionally, I think. But I remember as a child, you know, on the big box, big old TV screen, it, all of a sudden the thing come up. This is a test. This is a test of the public service address system. You just scare me to death. As it did, you know, anybody know what I'm talking about? It used to scare you. You know, like, oh, Lord, what's about to happen? I mean, it's frightening. This is a test. Yes, that's right. So the next time you get hit in the face with something out of the middle of nowhere, first thing to remember, look up and say, okay, Lord, this is a test. Because that's what it is. If you, listen now, if you didn't do something to cause some blowback on yourself, <laughs> you know what I mean? That was if you didn't do something bad, that's what I mean to say. We'll come to that in just a moment. But, but. <laughs> do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know what, if everything we're supposed to go well and be right, and, they, and, you, and, and you're supposed to have everything you ever wanted, and, and never have anything of what you don't want, say, that's heaven, that's not earth. <laughs> that's heaven. We're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. In the meantime, we're on earth. And earth has been corrupted. Humanity has been corrupted. So we really need to develop, to develop enough maturity to kind of expect that life is going to be hard. Now, if life is not hard all the time, that's good. That's grace. That's God's grace. That's a good thing. But don't get spoiled, you see, because... It's not always going to go easy and smooth and the way you think and hope and expect and plan and prepare and all of that other business. Listen, life is hard and full of disruptions and disruptive, troubled people who make life more difficult just by being what they are. <laughs> and, especially, and it's especially hard if those troubled people live in your household. And y'all share the same DNA. <laughs> and <laughs> it, that's even harder. That's why one thing to deal with somebody, you know, your boss on the job is trouble. You ain't got to deal live with, you ain't got to live with that foolishness when you leave the job necessarily. You cut that person, you can't cut your own DNA off. No matter how hard you try, they're still your family. You, you still love them. 
You can't stop loving them and don't lie and say, I don't love you no more. You just lie and yes, you do love them. If you're a Christian, you love them. Even if you're non-Christian, you still love them. So, I mean, if, if, if there are times and periods in your life where anything's going well, thank God, because you're not in heaven yet. That's good. And something to rejoice over. But you know what? Here's what the scripture says about it. Don't be surprised that this is though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Even in the sufferings, rejoice because it's going to pay off. Let me just use language I know all of you, all everybody going to understand. It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. It'll pay off if you don't screw it up. If you don't mess up your reward, it'll pay off if you believe God that he will reward your suffering. And yes, God wants to pay off. God wants to bless us. God wants to reward us. Not only that, not only that, but John Piper is right in his book, Desiring God, when he says, essentially, that God wants us to want the reward. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rewarded by God for enduring the hard trials and sufferings of life. And God does more than pay off. Reward is not a word that actually is capable of encompassing everything that God will do. In fact, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what God will do to reward us. Reward isn't even adequate to describe. And do I want to be rewarded? Yes, I do. And do I want as much reward as God has purposed to give me? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And am I doing it to be rewarded? Yes. Does the Bible teach me to do it to be rewarded by God? Yes. Go back and read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Beatitudes again. See what he says about it. Great is your reward in heaven for those of you who have been persecuted and lied upon and, and slandered up, down, and around on account of me. Great is your reward in heaven. They did the same thing to the prophets who came before you. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be you rejoice, listen, you rejoice. if you, by God's grace, can rejoice now in this life, boy, you have no idea what kind of joy you're going to have so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Okay, then in verses 14 to 19, Peter further elaborates this with examples. I read verses 12 and 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4. But listen to verses 14 through 19 where Peter further elaborates this with examples. Here it is. Walk with me. Pay attention. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. Now, look, can, can I just... Can I just take a point of personal privilege for just a moment, brothers and sisters, just as a personal testimony. You know something? 
I don't think I have ever, in the history of my living, been slandered more than I was slandered the first decade I was the pastor of this church. Nor my family slandered more than we were slandered by people who called themselves Christians the first 10 years. The first 10 years I pastored this church. You know something? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know what? God will reward us when we endure the slanders of sinners and hypocrites in this world. If the hypocrites are saying only good things about you, then that makes you a hypocrite along with them. If the hypocrites are slandering you, then that means you're doing what God wants you to be doing. And never mind, <laughs> you can put their words behind and forget because God won't forget their words. God won't forget their insults. You know what, I've, forgot, I've forgotten more that has been done than I remember anymore. Of the bad, I've forgotten more of it. You know why? Not because I have amnesia, and not because I didn't learn from it, I have learned from it, but I've forgotten it because I know God will remember it, and God will punish them and judge them for it. I don't have to hold on to it. See, that's what's wrong with some of you. You keep holding on to stuff that people said to you and people did to you as if God is not going to judge them for what they did. And God can deal with them in a way you can't even imagine. And besides, he is their judge just like he's your judge. Let him deal with them if you trust him. Now, if you don't trust him, then yes, keep holding on to your anger, your bitterness, and your grudge. And let it eat you up from the inside out until there's nothing left of you. And then God has to look on you with pity for how you self-destructed for no reason. Otherwise, let God remember it. Oh boy, he will remember it. You have no idea. You can't even comprehend what God will do. Remember what Jesus said about this? Every idle word men speak, they will give account. That's why I'm not angry. I ain't bitter. What for? I ain't gonna poison my own soul because of fools. <laughs> yes, I did say it, fools. <laughs> and I meant what I said. Because that's exactly what God word, God's word refers to people who slander others, who should very well know better. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Mm -hmm, see there? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed 
But praise God that you bear that name. Uh, remember what Jesus said about this again in Matthew chapter 5, which I'll refer to over and over again this Sunday and next Sunday. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when, when, when men persecute you and say all manner of evil about you falsely on account of me. Um, you are blessed uh, tremendously. You are actually blessed, not cursed. They may curse you, but you're blessed. I bless you. And God's blessing far supersedes man's cursing. Man's curse means nothing. God's blessing means everything. So if I'm cursed by you but blessed by God, I'd rather be blessed by God and cursed by you rather than blessed by you and cursed by God. You can curse me all you want. God will deal with you in your words. But I want to be blessed by God. And I will be blessed by God. And so will you be blessed by God if we do as Jesus has told us to do. Now, if you suffer, it should not be. In other words, don't get yourself into trouble. <laughs> if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or meddler or doing something you don't have any business doing. Or for that matter, meddling into something you should stay out of. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Why? For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? <laughs> if judgment starts here in the house of God with God's people woe be unto those who are outside of him outside of the Lord and outside of the church those who do not obey the gospel of God are in a severity of trouble they cannot even comprehend he goes on verse 18 and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, in conclusion, on this little point, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, see there, there it is. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See there? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. Bless those in his Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you and say all manner of evil about you falsely. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't repay evil for evil. Repay evil with good. Here it is. We should entrust ourselves, commit ourselves to our faithful creator who is God and continue to do good. Just because somebody else does bad 
Oh, just because somebody else does bad to you does not mean and nor does it give you a license to start doing bad in reaction and in response. No, you keep doing good. We are to keep doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, regardless to what others are doing. Regardless to what others may be doing against us. Let us commit ourselves to our creator and keep doing good. Romans 12, 21, anybody? We've said it over and over again, remember? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Keep doing good. Keep do when you stop doing good, that's exactly what the devil wants, is for you to stop doing what you know is right, for you to stop doing good. You don't stop doing good because other humans don't do good. Let other humans be accountable to God for the bad they do. But don't get yourself into trouble with God because other people don't know how to behave or don't want to behave like they're supposed to. You keep doing good. So when we suffer, it should be because we are Christians conducting ourselves in a manner that is faithful to the biblical Christian gospel. We should not cause ourselves to suffer because we have done wrong. When we suffer, it ought to be for doing good, not evil. For being Christ-like, not criminal. Jesus has already promised that we will be salted with fire. Why should we heap more fire upon ourselves by doing bad stuff and by making bad decisions and poor choices? Why are you gonna make it worse? It's already hard enough when you do good. Why are you gonna do bad and multiply your troubles unnecessarily? First Peter chapter three, verse 17 says this, for it is better, 317, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. First Peter 317, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So brothers and sisters, let us not be foolish in how we live. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 <laughs> says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. <laughs> he goes on to say, by the way, making the most of the time, redeeming the time because the times are evil. Yes, yes. Christian discipleship requires suffering and sacrifice, brothers and sisters. It requires suffering and sacrifice. This is not a popular truth about the gospel. Many believers seem to want to think that because Jesus suffered as our substitute, we should somehow be exempt from suffering and instead enjoy a life of only health, wealth, and prosperity. 
But this thinking is not consistent with the gospel and what the New Testament teaches about the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, then you will suffer all kinds of trials in this life. And by the way, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you may be in. You can be wealthy, you can be poor, or somewhere, anywhere in between. It doesn't matter. As a Christian, you will suffer all kinds of trials in this life. And because Christ suffered for us, we too will suffer with him. Because we are also going to reign with him. But there is no exaltation before there is humility. Because Christ suffered for us, we too will suffer for him. But our sufferings are not wasted experiences. Our sufferings are redemptive experiences. And the experiences of, 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 of suffering may not bring happiness for the moment, but they will produce abiding joy, which is deeper than happiness. You know what I say about happiness, the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is almost entirely dependent upon the immediate circumstances. I'm either happy or unhappy about something depending on what's happening on the surface of things. But joy is different by nature. Joy is abiding and far deeper than the superficial nature of happiness. I can be unhappy about something on the surface of things, but yet still maintain and retain the abiding joy that Christ has given me, even when I'm unhappy. Mm. By the way, I hope those of you battling you know, with these issues, issues of depression, are listening. The joy doesn't leave. If you belong to the Lord, the joy doesn't leave because you may not feel good. And it's actually that abiding joy of your salvation that will bring you out of the mire of your depression. Now, sure, you know, medicine helps, and I, you know me, everybody knows the pastor. I encourage, you know, listen to your doctor, follow the doctor's instructions, take your medications, whatever those need to be. But we also recognize that, that these issues are more than just physical and physiological, psychological, psychiatric, and sociological. They are spiritual and they are theological at their deepest depths. And they have everything to do with your dialogue with God deep within your soul. Remember Genesis 4? When Cain became angry, and the Bible says his face was downtrodden and depressed, he was angry. It was anger turned inward. That's, by the way, how Menereth and Meyer define depression as anger turned inward. 
he was angry, turned inward. And God came to him and asked him a question. And remember what I've taught you about divine questions, that they are often redemptive in nature. God comes to Cain and says, why are you angry? And why is your face all torn up? You're angry on the inside. Your face shows it on the outside. Why are you angry? Then the next thing the Lord says is, well, if you do what is right, if you do what I told you to do, if you do what you know you're supposed to be doing, then you don't have to be in the state you're in. But if you do not do what is right, then your anger will eat you alive. This is the way he describes it in Genesis chapter 4. Sin is like an animal crouching at your door waiting to devour you. Your anger turned inward is going to eat you up if you don't listen to the voice of God and the voice of God's word. You see? Think about it. Our sufferings are not wasted experiences. Our sufferings are redemptive experiences. And the experiences of suffering may not bring happiness, but they will produce abiding joy, which is deeper than happiness. Again, 1 Peter 4.13 says, Do not be surprised, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We experience redemption through suffering. We do not experience redemption without suffering. Jesus said, everyone will be salted with fire. You may ask the question, what's redemptive about suffering? Again, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 7 answers this question for you. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ comes. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 3, also answers this question, what's redemptive about suffering? Redemptive about this. Some people, some, people go, some people in church go around and say, there's nothing redemptive about this. I'm mad that God did this to me. I'm mad that God let this storm blow into my life. I didn't do anything to deserve it. That's not the point. What's redemptive about suffering? Romans 5, verse 3, also answers this question. But we also glory in our sufferings, Christians. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. 
And it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans chapter three, verse, uh, Romans chapter five, verses three through five. See that? Our suffering is redemptive. It produces perseverance and character and hope. And hope does not put us to shame. You know, what happens to people who fall so far in their minds and their hearts that they decide to commit suicide? They've given up hope. They've thrown hope away. By the way, hope, does, hope doesn't just go away on its own. You have to throw it away. Did you know that? Hope doesn't just dissipate on its own. It doesn't leave on its own. You lose all hope, it's because you threw your hope away. Now, don't throw it away. It ain't going to just automatically leave you. No, God will make, why do we suffer? This world, because sin brought into this world, because of the corruption of all humanity and the entire corruption of the creation, according to Romans chapter 8. Everything has been profoundly corrupted by Adam's sin. We just ought to be happy when things are going well because they don't always go well in this world. Well, you know what? They're not supposed to, actually, to be honest. So listen. In the gospel, in the power of the gospel, God takes our suffering, and instead of the suffering destroying us, God uses suffering to redeem us. It produces perseverance, the ability to stick with it, to stay with it. Character and hope. And we're never put to shame by trusting God in our sufferings, especially when we recognize that God's love is greater than our pain. God's love is greater than our suffering. And Jesus suffered for us. And not just for us, but he suffered for everybody else too. When he died on the cross. You see, brothers and sisters, God in the gospel turns our suffering into redemption. And through our sufferings, he works his redemptive purpose in and through our lives. This is why Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For the Christian, suffering is redemptive, not ruinous. It's redemptive. Each of us will be salted with fire, Jesus says here in Mark 9, 49. In other words, God will purify and prepare us for his glory. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the purifying power of your word. Thank you for teaching us truth that abides and that causes our joy to abide even when happiness comes and goes. Thank you, O oh God, that as your word says in Romans chapter 8 that I consider 
the sufferings of this present life to not even be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you that you use our sufferings, whatever they may be, the fiery trials and ordeals that we have to endure, O oh God. You use all of them. You take all of them and turn them out for your redemptive purposes and for our redemptive good. Thank you, O oh God. How the gospel turns our world upside down so that it would be right side up. Remind us, O oh God, that in our suffering you are building patience and perseverance, character and hope so that we will never be ashamed to name the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for reminding us that everyone, every one of us has to be salted with fire. That we have to be purified and prepared for the great glory that is to come. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in his name, we pray that your word will accomplish your purpose in each and every mind, heart, soul, and life in the name of Jesus. Amen.